pray together. Heavenly Father, we do thank you this morning for your word. And we ask that during this time that you would speak clearly to us in your word. Grab our hearts and transform us into the image of our Savior. We are asking, Lord, for supernatural power to do this because we understand we cannot do this on our own. We cannot bear the fruit of Jesus without our vine. And so connect us to our vine this morning and make us like him. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. One of the most difficult things, can you turn me down just a little bit? One of the most difficult things for me in sermon preparation is illustration. There's always a truth that is clearly there in our text and it needs to be understood, but I'm asking myself, how is it that I can make it more understandable? And an illustration is supposed to do that. It's a word picture that helps our minds to be able to see. And so we say from time to time, a picture is worth a thousand words, right? And so I could spend 20 minutes talking about how my backyard is laid out, where I have all my shrubs and where all my flowers are planted. But if I were to show you a picture, then you would understand and I wouldn't really have to say anything. It explains itself. And that picture does things that words cannot. The Lord Jesus was a master of illustration. He drew word pictures that helped those that he taught to see. And those word pictures still provide sight for us today. Of all the illustrations that Jesus ever gave, I think the one in the passage that we have in front of us today is the most helpful, at least to me, because it describes with a picture what our ongoing relationship with Jesus is like. And if you try to explain it only in words, you can get lost Sometimes words just fall short, but the picture immediately does what the words cannot. They explain. And so there is a complex truth in the New Testament that teaches us about our relationship with Jesus. And it's really important to understand. And he illustrates that for us here in John chapter 15. And that truth is called union with Christ. Union with Christ And so on the day that you first believe that you're a forgiven sinner by the blood of Jesus, something happens inside of you that nobody can see, and something happens outside of you that nobody can see. By faith, you become one with your Savior. You are joined to Him. Your soul is knit to Him, connected to His And everything that He is begins to transform who you are, not the other way around. And so we understand that we do have sin in us, but your sinfulness does not begin to pollute Jesus because you're joined to him. It's his beauty and his perfection. They begin to transform you, clean you, make you new. He's the overwhelming force and the factor in this equation between you and himself. You being joined to Jesus does two major things. A lot of other things, too, going on there when you were joined to him by faith. But two primary things are happening when you have union with Christ. Number one, when you are joined to Jesus by faith, everything that he is in the eyes of God is also what you become instantaneously. Righteous, 
holy, a son. This is how God now sees you. Regardless of how you feel, regardless of how much progress that you have made in the faith, and we all want to make more progress, do we not? But in the eyes of God, when he looks down and he sees Mike, he looks down and he sees Lydia, he sees you in Christ, transformed, holy, righteous, and good. That is what he sees. That is what he declares. And so what now matters most about you is what God now says that you are. Doesn't matter what anybody else says that you are. Doesn't matter what you think about yourself. It is really about what God says. And by faith, once you have been joined to Jesus, he sees you as holy, like his son is holy. That's number one. The second thing that happens when you are joined to Jesus by faith, what he is begins to shape what you become over time. So this is progressive. This is what is happening day to day. This is the reality of your life, the slow progress that we make. We want rapid progress, do we not? But so often it is so slow like great trees being formed year by year. Often the progress is almost unnoticeable, but it's certainly noticeable in the eyes and in the plan of God. And so this is not about how God sees you like number one or what he declares you to be. It is the real practical change that takes place inside of you over time. For example... I'll give you a couple of examples here. I think everybody in here, in a sense, is an example, right? If you have trusted in Jesus, you know, like you might not be able to see all the change that has taken place this year. Maybe very unnoticeable. But I would hope that as you look back over five or 10 or 20 years of walking with Jesus, that there is some real change that has happened in you. The things that you used to love, sin, those things, those loves have died over time or at least been struck back over time, cut back. And now you have, begin, you have begun to love the things that Jesus loves. For example, God's plan is to make a man who is sinfully impatient, a man who's got a short fuse. He used to say, you know, that's just my Irish upbringing or my German upbringing. It always seems as though no matter what ethnicity somebody comes from, they're able to blame their anger on that. He's sinfully impatient. And over time, God's plan is to transform that person into somebody who has the patience of Jesus Christ. Cultivate that patience inside of that man. God's plan is to transform a person from somebody who is sexually impure, loves those things, and give that person the pure desires of Jesus over time. No longer delighting in what is filthy, but delighting in what is clean and pure like Jesus loves. And again, some of these things may happen quite rapidly. You might have a story where... When you became a believer, maybe almost instantaneously, there were some things that Jesus came along and just cleaned out of your heart. Those things just disappeared. But then I have to imagine there are some other things that have clung to you. They've stuck with you, and they have not changed very rapidly, not as rapidly as you'd like. 
You wish that junk was just gone and swept out of the house, but yet it just stays and it stays and it stays, and you fight and you fight and you fight. And hopefully over time, those things slowly die as well. God's wisdom will dictate how fast particular changes will be. But make no mistake, if you have been joined to Jesus and you're in union with him, the day will come when you will be like him. And it will be at that time when we sang this morning, come Lord Jesus, come Jesus, come. So the change will be happening up until that day, but when he returns, you will be transformed in an instant to be exactly like he is. But the change that we experience here in life, it just happens slowly over time. And it's this number two, the second element of union with Christ that I am looking at this morning here or wanting to describe more fully to you here from John chapter 15 because that is what Jesus is telling us. He is talking about the ongoing relationship that we have with him that transforms us from the people that we used to be to the people that we will and are become, becoming. So when Jesus wanted his disciples to understand this particular truth and how this happens, he used a word picture that would help their minds and help their hearts to see. And I hope this word picture will help you today to delight in what you have in Christ. It will also help you to start living in greater dependence on him in the days to come. That's what my hope is. I'm certainly, I know that is what the Lord Jesus intended as he spoke these words and what he intends for us today. And so when he chose to use this illustration of a grapevine under the care of a skilled gardener, he says, I am the true vine and my father is the vine dresser or the gardener. His father is the gardener. And then again, down in verse 5, he says, I am the vine and you are the branches. And so we have three essential persons being addressed in this metaphor. The father is the gardener. He's the one that cares for the plant. He's the one that looks out in the vineyard and knows exactly what each plant needs in order to bear the most fruit. Jesus, the son, is the vine. And so I've got a picture up there. So I said a picture is worth a thousand words. I personally have never cared for a grapevine. How many of you all have? I like two of you. So it's good that I put the picture on the screen. Okay, there are a couple more upstairs. Appreciate that. And so when you look at the picture here, you see that Jesus the Son is the vine or the trunk, which is the large brown section right there, at least to the right, right? Then you see the little shoots coming up off of the trunk, those little, those little brown pieces. That's us. We are connected to the vine, and then the fruit grows on those little shoots. And so the Father is the gardener, and his aim is to bring forth maximum fruit on the branches that are connected to his son, the vine. So I think you can pretty easily distinguish the difference between those in the picture. And we're told in verse 2 that the gardener's aim, when he looks at this plant, is twofold. He's trying to do two different things in order to bring forth the most fruit. First, he is removing the branches that have no sign of life in them. Branches that are not producing fruit. And then secondly, those branches that are producing fruit, he prunes in order to bring forth more fruit. And so unhealthy branches, first of all, need to be taken off. 
They can bring disease to the plant. That's not just with grapes and grapevines. That's any plant. You don't want diseased sections attaching themselves in any way to the rest of the plant. They can also take life from the plant that can be going toward the healthy parts. So it is good to detach them, remove them, cut them off. And so Jesus' main focus here is not to tell us about all those unhealthy branches. He does tell us something, but that's not his main aim. But he does tell us that these branches are removed, gathered up, and burned. They represent all of those who are not truly connected to Jesus. And the proof that these branches don't have the life of Christ in them is that they do not produce his fruit. They don't produce fruit. And that should make us ask a couple of questions. What kind of fruit should be on the vines that are attached to Jesus? And the next question then, as we think about ourselves, as we're looking at this passage of Scripture, is am I producing that fruit? Am I, am I a good branch? Am I connected to the vine? Is this fruit, whatever it's supposed to be, is this fruit growing on and in me? What kind of fruit does a grapevine produce? Grapes, right? Not a trick question. So what kind of fruit does a Jesus vine produce? Thank you, Danny. Jesus. A Jesus vine produces Jesus. So just a diagnostic question for all of us here this morning. Is it evident that Jesus is being produced in you? Is it evident? Maybe not just to yourself. Maybe you can ask a neighbor, a loved one, somebody that's willing to speak bluntly to you, honestly. Is Jesus being produced in you? And I am not asking if you think that you're a good person. I'm not asking if you think that you're a better person than your neighbor or your classmates or all the people that you see on your social media feed. That's not what I'm asking you. I'm asking if the life of Christ is blossoming on your branches. Is the fruit of his spirit growing where it once was not. Because maybe all of your life you've been kind of nice. Maybe that's just been who you've always been. But what I'm asking is, are you growing in the things that Jesus himself grows in his people like sacrificial love? And y'all know if you know Galatians 5, love, joy, peace, patience, all of that. Sacrificial love, is it growing on your branches? Loving those people that are hard to love. Do you have joy when things are hard? Do you have peace in the middle of the storm? Do you have patience when you'd rather force change? Kindness to those people that you 
don't really like? Is there self-control evident in you when your emotions just want to carry you away? And do you have gentleness growing on your branches when you'd rather be harsh? So again, I'm not talking about your natural temperament. Some of you guys here were just born nicer, warmer, more naturally peaceful, disciplined than other people. But there is a difference between that and the spiritual life and fruit that comes to you because you're connected to the vine. So this is not natural. This is supernatural because it is coming to you through Jesus himself. And we're told here that those branches that are not producing fruit, those branches that aren't producing fruit from directly from the vine, that those branches are removed, gathered, and burned. And so is it clear in your mind this morning, as you do a little bit of self-examination, that you are a branch receiving life from the vine, not a branch that is living apart from the vine. Is that evident to you? And again, sometimes we're not very good at self-evaluation. It really is helpful to have some other people around you in your life that can speak lovingly and truthfully, that don't just affirm everything that you want to hear about yourself, don't just pat you on the back all the time, but can say, you know, I'm seeing this. And you hope that at the very least they can say that, yes, I've known you for the last 10 years, and I have watched you grow in the fruit of Jesus' spirit. No, you're not perfect. He's not, back, he's not back down from heaven just yet, completely cleansing you. But what I have seen is progress because you are connected to the vine. I hope you have someone like that, and I hope that you know these truths in your heart, that you truly are connected to Jesus. And if you've walked in here this morning, and you know that you have lived separated from the vine up to this point, what is keeping you from trusting in him right now? He is a good Savior. He is not casting you off right now. He is inviting you in in his word. He is telling you about his goodness as he describes himself as a life-giving vine. And he delights when branches attach themselves to him and begin to feed on the life that his spirit gives on the inside, transforming us from dead sinners into life-producing branches. But Jesus' audience on this particular night was his disciples. That's who he is talking to. At this point, Judas has already gone off to do his evil, and all that was left in Jesus' presence was the believing 11. That's who he's talking to here. And he spends the bulk of his time addressing them, branches who do share in the vine. He knows that. He's talking to them. And that's what I want to be our primary aim for the rest of our time this morning is to focus on what it means to be a branch that is connected to the life-giving vine. And there is a word that Jesus repeats several times in this passage that is key for producing fruit 
It's the word abide. He says, it's, he says it six times in verses 4 through 7. But most clearly, he says this in verse 4. He gives it three times. Look there at verse 4. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself, unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. He is making it clear that the primary activity of the branch in relationship to the vine is abide. There's something pretty key in this word that we better get if we are going to produce the fruit that Jesus wants to have growing on and in us. And so if the branch does not abide in the vine, he says it cannot, it cannot grow fruit by itself on its own. It does not just produce fruit. You know that if you look at a plant, you chop the branch off, pretty soon it's going to start to show dead stuff. Things are not going to continue to grow on it. Jesus says that about us. And so if we are going to be connected to Christ, we have to understand what it means to abide. And that should be our daily focus, our ongoing focus each and every day is to abide in Jesus. We might think that our focus should be to produce fruit. But we don't produce the fruit just by effort, just by trying harder. The life of the vine is what produces fruit in us. And so we have to abide in him. That's what we do. He will produce the fruit if we are abiding. So that's what we have to understand. Because we can fake fruit. Have you all ever faked fruit before? You're able to put on a good face for a while. We can, we can conjure up some imposter fruit to grow on our branches just for everybody else to see for a short amount of time. That is not what we are talking about here. We're talking about such a radical change that takes place inside of your heart. But this is what you put out there. It becomes more natural because you're connected to Jesus. So no abiding, there will be no fruit, no real fruit. No fruit, Jesus is saying, you're not my disciples. You will prove that you are my disciples by bearing my fruit. So it is of absolute necessity that we abide. Well, what does that mean? Does anybody here ever really use the word abide? Is that part of your regular conversational language? Dave back there, you're shaking your head. I think you're the only one. Caleb, you love the word abide, all right? I expect to hear it from you sometime this week, all right? I don't think I regularly use that word. I did notice last week in my sermon I used the word abode, Abode. I think we kind of know what that means, right? It means a dwelling place, a place where we live. Well, abide is a verb, and it has a similar meaning. And in other places in the New Testament, the word means remain, continue, stay. But do any of those words really help you to understand what we are supposed to do when we're commanded to abide? Do I just stay with Jesus? Do I just remain with him? Like, what does that even mean? 
Tomorrow, practically speaking, what does that mean? What do I do? I'm struggling to understand that just a little bit. And that's why the word picture is so helpful. And so the illustration communicates to us what the word abide cannot. Because you and I do understand when we look outside that a branch is completely dependent on the vine or the trunk for everything that it needs. All of its life comes to it from the vine. All of its resources, all of its provision. It's not simply remaining on the vine or dwelling on the vine as if it's just sitting there, hanging out. It is sustained, filled, grown, empowered through a dependent relationship with the vine. The vine is not sustained by the branches. It doesn't get its life from the branch. The branches find their life source in the vine. It seems to me that there is one thing that is needful in the church today, the church in America, or the church just right here in South Buffalo, specifically we'll even just come right down to Kaz Church. One thing that we need more than anything else is this. We need to learn what it means to abide in Christ just as the branch abides in the vine. And if the church produces weak fruit, it is not because the vine is weak. We know he's not weak. It's because the branches are not abiding in the vine's resources. Jesus makes a very clear statement here. He says, without me, you can do nothing. You're not going to produce any fruit without me. It's just impossible. Fake fruit, yes. Real fruit, no. About 100 years ago, a man named Andrew Murray wrote a book called Abide in Christ. One of the chapters deals with this illustration here in John chapter 15. So listen to some of what Murray says that will hopefully help you to better grasp what it means to abide. He says, The believer can each day be pleasing to God only in that which he does through the power of Christ dwelling in him. The daily inflowing of the life sap of the Holy Spirit is his only power to bring forth fruit. He lives alone in him and is for each moment dependent on him alone. And so he's describing a kind of relationship that has a singular focus, a singular dependence. He says alone there twice. I find everything that I need spiritually in Christ alone. Not anywhere else. I have to stay dependent on him and the life-giving sap that comes through the Holy Spirit. Constant, complete, everyday dependence on the Lord for everything that I need. That is what he is describing here. And so again, make a quick examination of your life. Can you truthfully say that you could be described like this? Just what you are? Do you see some evidence of this? Even some, just some growing evidence of this? Because we might be tempted to think that if Jesus is included in our lives, 
We've just got him with us. Really good accessory. Attached to us. If he's just included in some way or another that we are in fact doing this. But this cannot mean what abide means. It's not asking if Jesus is included in your life. Branches don't just include the vine in their activities. The vine isn't just invited along for things, especially the really important things. The vine is the source of the branch's activities. It gives direction to everything that the branch will do. And so your whole purpose is to produce the fruit that brings honor to the life and the love of the vine. Is that what is happening in your life? Because if it is not, and I have to imagine that what I'm hoping and what I prayed for this morning is just conviction of God's word that we would be a people who would recommit ourselves to abide in the vine of Jesus and to see him as such a delight, such a wonderful savior that we would desire to do this and see his fruit grow on our branches. My hope was not that anybody would come into this place and just feel beat up. Well, I'm a failure. Now, this word right here is an invitation to abide. Jesus is saying, come abide in me and you will produce my fruit. But it does take an act of the will, a commitment, a decision, a conviction that there is a void in my life right now. There is something empty and weak and depleted. And it may simply be that you are not abiding in Christ. And Jesus says, come. I want my power, my life, my love flowing in and through you. So will you abide? But I'm going to Take it one step further here and just say that some of you may still have it in your mind that you're just not quite sure how you're supposed to do this. Sure, you understand that a branch abides in the vine for all it needs, but what does that look like for you tomorrow? Practically speaking, what do you actually do I would suggest that to truly abide, you have to begin developing a new habit of heart. New habits have to begin. Your heart needs to be trained to do, as that word actually says, to remain, to continue, and to stay. Because our hearts have been trained accidentally to detach Detaching from Jesus has been or become our unintentional habit of heart. And I'll give you an example. Several years ago, I walked into one of the schools here in Buffalo to pick up my kids. And a lot of other parents were standing around in there too, waiting for their children to come down the hall. And as we waited, I looked around at all the parents because they had five minutes time on their hands. And every one of them was doing the same thing. What was it? 
Man, everybody's head's just down there buried in their phone. Every one of them. It's just what has begun to happen when anybody has five minutes time on their hands. Your, your hand just naturally slips down into your pocket or wherever your phone is. You just pull it out. And sometimes you don't even know what you were going to look at. You just know there's got to be something there to kill some time with. Am I right? And you didn't train yourself to do that. You didn't do it intentionally, but it did happen somehow over time. There was a habit that developed. Well, our hearts can have that happen too. They naturally drift toward dependence on just about anything else but Jesus. Start to attach themselves to other things. Naturally form habits that are not good for the heart but they have to be intentionally trained to depend on Jesus. This will not happen on its own. I've talked to a lot of Christians, okay? And it seems that most people are just waiting for God to do something in them. Like he's just gonna shape and mold me into Jesus overnight while I sit around watching Netflix all day and playing Candy Crush on my phone or whatever it is that you spend all of your time doing. It is not going to happen on its own. And I don't mean to insult you and Candy Crush or whatever it is. It's probably something new. But you know what I'm talking about. You default to certain activities. You just unintentionally go toward those things. And in the back of your mind, you're always thinking, I really should pray more. Man, I really should be reading my Bible right now, but that new, that new season of Loki just came out. <laughs> or whatever it is. <laughs> Are you hearing me? I have this happen in me as well. There's a time of night where I just kind of want to be left alone. And it's the time that I get to spend on my own. Kenny, you're back there shaking your head. You know, right? There's just a time that you just want to be on your own. And so often what I have in my mind is there's my Bible. I've got books. I mean, I've got books. <laughs> and it's like, what do I do? Well, I just watch the football game. And it's a habit that has developed over time. It's just where I naturally go when I'm sitting on my couch. What I know I need to do is just not sit there, probably just go sit somewhere else and begin developing a new habit of heart. Train my heart and demonstrate to my heart that Jesus is better than whatever it is. Whatever it is that you naturally gravitate toward and you naturally do. And I'm not just talking about going through the motions, okay? And sometimes you just need to go through the motions to start establishing that habit. You do. But so often I think some people think, as long as I just sit down and have my quiet time with Jesus every morning, that's it. Well, I don't know what kind of quality of quiet time you have. If all you're doing is just reading your Bible and checking off a box, that is not good enough. But it's better than sitting there on your phone. It's better than just killing off your time with that same thing that you've been doing for the last five years. And we might wonder, why is it that we have not made the spiritual progress that we had hoped that we would? You just keep waiting on that feeling to strike. When what really needs to happen 
is that tomorrow you just start to abide. And you make some new decisions. And you plant a flag firmly in the ground that tomorrow I'm going to do this instead of that. And it's going to be hard. It's like a new diet or exercise or work routine or school schedule. There's just things that you have to do because they're good for you. And Jesus is saying that the best possible thing that you can do for yourself is to abide in me. And so as we close, I would ask you, what is it in your life right now that is keeping you from abiding? What do you need to do to kill off this thing that is just pretty much worthless? But it's hindering you from your growth in Christ. Or you're not connecting to the vine like you should. What is that? And so will you commit this morning to establishing new habits of heart that cause you to direct your mind to him rather than run to everything else that's just easier? And so when you have stress, Whatever your natural tendency is, I guarantee you that everybody in this room, whether you know it or not, when life gets hard, stress happens, and you start to feel overwhelmed, you run to something. You go, something's your go-to. Whether it's a space in the house, it could be a substance, it could be eating, it could be to call a person. And some of those things may be just fine, but what I'm telling you is, is that the new habit of heart is when stress comes into your life, the first place you go is Jesus. And you begin to understand that he actually has what you need. Again, I'm not talking about just a bare routine or a bare motion or just plain. I'm saying, you know, as you go to Jesus, that he will supply to you what you need in that moment. You've got hard decisions to make. You go to Christ for wisdom. And you know that he does not give sparingly to those who ask him. You've got five free minutes. Instead of reaching in your pocket for your phone, you turn to Christ. And you ask him to feed your soul with what you need. And so this morning, will you commit to establishing those new habits of heart that draw you to the vine that don't detach you from him? And will you offer praise to God? Because what a good God he is that he presents us with his word where Jesus is inviting us to come and abide in him. Because maybe you have been kind of like a detached branch, withering a bit, a little bit brown, Weak fruit, if any. And Jesus is saying to you this morning, come, attach yourself to me. Reattach yourself to me and find life and fruit. And so receive this word this morning. I am the vine. You are the branches. He who abides in me and I am him bears much fruit. It's a promise. If you abide in Christ, he will bear his fruit in you.
So let's be a church that does that very thing. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you this morning for your word. We thank you, Lord Jesus, that you were willing to come here to sinners for this very thing that we might learn to abide in you. Join ourselves by faith to you and become dependent on you. In this world, we become dependent on lots of other things, lots of other people, lots of other resources. But here you are telling us that the chief resource that we are to depend on is truly you and that you will provide everything that your branches need. We need to trust you in that. Sometimes we need to be like the man who brought his son to Jesus and say, I believe, Lord Jesus, help my unbelief. And I pray that right now you will help the unbelief of those who are here to look to you for their deepest and most important needs. You are our provider. You promised that for us here. And so, Lord, as we prepare to leave this place, lead us to commit ourselves to do what this text commands. And it is a good command. And it will have a good outcome for your church. And we ask it in the strong name of Jesus. Amen.